Welcome to Bang the Table Talks, a monthly podcast where we discuss the evolving world of community engagement. Each month, we will discuss trends, best practices, and information to assist in running better community engagement programs. Hello, everyone. My name is Nathan Connors, and I am the Learning and Practice Manager here at Bang the Table. Thank you for joining us for episode seven of our online podcast series. Today, we're lucky enough to have Louise Litchfield, who is the General Manager of Stakeholder Engagement and Communications at the Brisbane South Primary Health Network, here today to tell us all about how she achieved a primary health needs assessment online using Engagement HQ. Now, Louise is going to share with us some of her experiences today in achieving this needs health assessment. She's gonna tell us all about the primary health networks and what they do uh, here in Australia. And she's also gonna give us some advice on what it's like to engage with hard to reach communities and especially communities uh, which might be giving you feedback and input on what can often be sensitive health issues. So Louise, if you'd just like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, the program here today. Oh, hi. Um, Yes, as you know, my name's Louise. I've been working in stakeholder engagement for many, 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 many years, unfortunately, (laughs) a lot of years. Um, and it's always been a, a challenge to really engage um, hard to reach groups. Uh, you get people who are interested and they'll come along to workshops and they'll come along to forums and they'll come along to all sorts of things, but to actually engage people whose opinion you want has been notoriously difficult. And um, that's the, the key thing we were trying to get through by using um, a mix of tools of which Engagement HQ was a really key part. Great. Now, I understand that uh, the, the, the primary health networks here in Australia are relatively new. And for our listeners out there who has no idea what a primary health network <laughs> is or what it does, would you mind uh, telling our listeners exactly what a primary health network is and what they do uh, in the health system? Sure. sure. So there's 31 primary health networks or PHNs as we're called around the country. Um, we evolved out of the Medicare locals um, in 2015. So each of the primary health networks has a, a region that it needs to focus on because what the federal government who funds us is really cognizant of is that the needs in each area are quite specific and can be quite different. So the community needs say in North Queensland, um, in the remote communities up on the Cape are really quite different from those that are in Brisbane South region that we have here. So um, within Brisbane South region, we've got more than a million people in our region. We cover from the Brisbane River down to the border, um, across to the Gold Coast and across the other way to Ipswich. Um, and we include the Bay Island. So we've actually got urban areas, um, the city, we've got you know south of Brisbane city. And then we actually go to rural areas, so down to Bow Desert in the scenic rim, and we've got remote areas with the Bay Island. So we actually cover quite a lot of ground and we've got a very high Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander population for an urban area and we've also got um, something like 30% of people in our area were born overseas. So we've got quite a high multicultural community and we've got a high refugee community. So, so your role really is to act as a, as a bridge between a, a region and um, policy makers, is that correct? That, that's right and particularly in the primary, as it, it's a bit self-evident from our name, that the state government deals with the secondary and acute areas, hospitals um, and health services, that's a sort of state government remit. But we support primary health, so your GP, your doctor and your practice. Um, and we also support the allied health professionals, so practice nurses, physiotherapists, speech therapists, early childhood 
um, therapists. Um, so people really who are at the, the coalface of medical needs um, in our community, we provide a support. So we support those practices and then we also commission services. We commission a lot of services in the mental health space, um, alcohol and other drugs, suicide prevention space, and we also commission services in the aged care and early childhood, mums and bubs and domestic violence space. So it's really important that we know that what is needed in our community so that we can target it, our resources appropriately. And so um, that's quite a really broad stakeholder group, actually. Uh, you know, uh, are they main, so they're mainly service providers. So do you actually have any contact with the end consumers of, uh, of primary health services at all? We tend to more through intermediary. So we've got um, a community advisory council who we work with, there's 20 representatives from the community and they represent all of the different groups that I was just talking about. Um, but we really needed for this particular needs assessment we were doing this year to outreach to those broader communities because we needed to understand what community priorities were. We get a lot of data, as you can imagine, we get all sorts of data from the hospitals, hospital presentations, we get um, pharmaceutical benefits data. So when you go to buy your medicines, that data goes back to not, not it's de-identified, but it goes back to the federal government. So we know what sort of medicines people are buying in our area. We know what types of things they're going to see the GP for, but we don't necessarily know why. We don't necessarily know what drove them to that um, place. We don't necessarily know did they use that service only because that's the one that was there? Could we provide a better service? Could we do things better for them? So that doesn't come through in the data and that's what we needed to engage the broader community about to really understand that next level of data. All right, and can you tell us then a little bit more about the needs assessment uh, and uh, you know what it involves and how you approached uh, setting up your engagement on this particular topic? Sure. So we had a stakeholder plan from the start. We really went out and identified particularly our vulnerable groups and we looked at them in the different sections. Um, you know, how would we, we did a proper stakeholder analysis, but we looked at how would we greet and meet each different group. So we spent some time breaking down, you know, the usual groups that we get, all the demographics that you would normally no, but then we looked at, well, what are the particularly vulnerable groups in our area? And, and so we broke that down again into Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander peoples, um, our multicultural peoples, and including refugees. And then we looked at older people because we've actually got quite an ageing population. We looked at the LGBTIQ community because they're a very hard community to reach and we knew that there were some specific needs that we needed to understand in that community. Um, we also reached out to, to homeless people and homeless organisations and then we looked at people who were in a rural and remote area and what different needs that they might have. So once we had a look at all of those groups, we said, okay, what's the best way to get in touch with these people? Um, and how can we make, you know, encourage them to give us their, their thoughts and their, their um, aspirations, really, because we wanted to do this from a strengths-based process, not not you know a, a whinging based process but if we could do really good stuff how would we do this really well um, and so we enabled each of those groups through engagement hq to have a, their own space on the engagement hq site we repeated a lot of the questions we wanted anyone to feel they could come into the site where they were and who they were and feel that they could contribute to um to 
our program. We made sure that the site could be read in any different language. So we worked with um, the team at Bang the Table to make sure we had Google Translate on every page. Because we, again, we didn't want to lose people through this process. We also knew that some groups would be less likely to engage online and that was fine too. So um, in particular, our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community, we had a very strong outreach program and we went out into the community and we spent time with elders and we got assessment that way. We didn't necessarily expect them to come online and give us that data, but we got really good data face to face. But other communities like the LGBTIQ community really used that opportunity to give us some um, really rich data that we could work with and understand the needs um, that we need to be addressing in that community. So we actually got quite a high engagement at the site. At one point it was more than 20% of people coming to the site were engaging and giving us um, That's incredible. a lot of information. It was, you, was really, really good. And do you think that um, was because of the, the way you structured the, um, I'm assuming there were protected spaces or special spaces for each of the stakeholder groups? Is that um, perhaps a some were, some were protected. So we had sites specifically for our healthcare professionals. Um, which were password protected, we wanted them to come on and feel that they could actually give us um, their professional opinion and not feel that they were um, exposing their thoughts too too far and wide. Um, we had, you know, some sites for our staff and, and to come and, and give us views. But the other sites were really um, open to everybody um, and you could choose. You could come in and give us a broad view of what you wanted to do and then you might look and see, okay, actually I identify as this particular group. I'll go in and give some more information. Um, we did get some, we had set up, you know, a lot of things that, it took a little bit of trust, I guess. Um, we had some discussion forums set up. We had questionnaires. We had a whole range of tools set up on each page. What we did do, it's probably against advice and you probably don't want, you wouldn't be advising people, but we did really make it clear that it could be anonymous because we were asking people to give health data. And while um, with some of the other work that we're doing, it's really great to have people registered and to understand when you're asking someone to give us some health data, um, they need to know that they can be anonymous in giving that. So we didn't make it compulsory to register. We really needed the data more than anything else. And we got really good demographic data. So we knew where they were coming from on their age groups and things like that. They just didn't have to tell us specifically who they were. Um, so, you know, with people really engaged, we had some other special information in there around mental health needs and, and we got a lot of engagement on that. We had questionnaires around alcohol and other drugs. We got really good information on that. So when you're engaging in the, in the health space, obviously you're encountered with, you know, often some quite emotive and sensitive issues. How do you uh, respond to those where you sense or identify um, an immediate risk to someone's health or someone who's in immediate need of care? You know, there's some things that, that are peculiar to health in that, you know, in the mental health one, we had one woman sort of give us a download on her mental health. And so we had to mm. make sure we got back directly to her and said, here's a resource that you can use. And, you know, so you've got to be, um, when you're asking people really difficult questions about, you know, the, abundant, the palliative care one is like, how do you plan to die? Where do you want to die? Have you talked to people about dying? <laughs> you know, um, they're not necessarily easy we do so much in mental health that they can trigger things so you you just need to have professionals around you that can respond to people you know and we did little trigger warnings you know that this might if if, if answering any of these questions brings 
up some bad thoughts for you. Here's some numbers to ring. So we had to really think about all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, that didn't stop people. It was great. They really gave us some really good information. What were some of the ways you uh, asked and framed your, uh, your questions in, in some of those themed areas? Because that's a very, you know, it's a very important part of actually driving that engagement. You did say at some stage you had about 20% engagement rate. So yeah. Um, yeah. how did you frame some of those harder uh, questions as part of the assessment? Well, I think it's a little bit about the introduction and why we wanted the information. And then we really wanted to understand people's journey in the system. And the questions were around, you know, what would make a great system? What could we do? What could we do well? What, what's working? Are there things that are working that we need to keep? And are there other things that we need to, um, you know, work harder on? And it, there, was, it was, there was some really interesting, consistent themes that came through some of that. Some things across every group were around feeling that they were respected in the system and that they were understood and listened to. Um, some of the themes that came through were not what we were necessarily expecting. People didn't sort of come in and say, we want cheap healthcare or we want um, you know, things that are often bandied around, everything's too expensive, we can't get there. But there, were, there was a lot of conversation around accessibility and respect and um, you know where they fit into the system, where... How, how we can help them that journey that patient journey it's really given us some good context and did you have any assumption did you have any assumptions about the types of things you thought you might might hear before you started the uh, needs assessment look there's some things we knew from the data we did do some work around um you know what do you think the top concerns were there's there weren't any major surprises in that it was chronic disease mental health um Domestic and family violence was up there a little bit more than we necessarily would have thought. That came through. The one that was quite surprising was pain management, and that came through as an – we didn't have that on our list. That came through as an other um, from quite a few people, and that also came through from our medical professionals was pain management. And we used that and then ran a pain clinic uh, – pain sort of conference earlier this year and had really high attendance from our GPs. So immediately, you know, we had some benefits from what that information we were getting. Wow, so you were actually able to respond to the feedback that you got through this process and actually, you know, extend your engagement or work in, in a space of a new idea or, or a new contribution. Absolutely. And wherever we could solve people's issues straight away, we did. So some of it was connectivity. Some of it was people just didn't know that a service actually existed. And so we were able to connect them straight away to an existing service which we just would not have known about if we hadn't done this type of engagement. Um, we really made a deliberate, this was really deliberate to be outreach and to be for people to be able to give us their views in their time, in their space, not being brought into a, a workshop or a, a forum where they sort of have to hear everybody else's view and then feel a little bit constrained about giving their own view. This was really about enabling people to give their personal viewpoint and to for us then to match those viewpoints with the data that we had. So we've got um, a massive document now, <laughs> hundreds of pages of document that we've pulled together how we're going to prioritise our health um, spending over the next few years and, and what our sort of priority populations are, our priority locations and the health challenges that we need to deal with. Because if you can think of the health system, you could you know, you're never going to cover everything. It's massive. So to get that level of priority from people, from the community, it was fantastic. So actually, it's a really um, interesting thing that I, 
I might ask you about, you, you may or may not have any tips, but how do you blend sort of uh, hard health data with your uh, engagement feedback to create a cohesive um, story or a cohesive set of priorities? What, uh, do you have any advice for how to, do you start with the data and then, and then couple that with the, your engagement? Uh, because that'll inform th the questions that you asked and such, or um, do you uh, respond to your engagement and go and look for the data? How do you work with data and engagement together? It's a bit of a circular process. So we start off with what, I mean, we'd, we'd had a base level needs assessment before. So we had a basic idea of, of topics that we would need to cover. Um, we were lucky that there's just been a new census. So there was quite a lot of new data to, to put into this um, particular document. And, and so it was really a circular process. It was triangulation, I guess they call it. But, you know, we look at one lot of data, we look, is, it, is that what says, is that's what, the other bit of data saying, um, we look at desktop research, let's put it all together and see what happens. It's a massive Excel spreadsheet at one point in time and then you have to distill all of that <laughs> into a narrative that people can really understand. So out of all of that information, we came up with four perspectives that we look at things through. So we look at it from a people perspective, what are our priority populations? Um, and those tended to be our young children, because if you can make a difference when somebody's very young, um, that can travel with them for life. Older adults, because we do have an aging population and how that we make that uh, a more comfortable time for people. And then we looked at the particular vulnerable communities in our area of which there are um, significant groups. We then looked at um, priority locations. So it was quite interesting. Locations came up again and again that that featured vulnerable populations, health challenges, um, and socioeconomic data. They just came, the same, same locations came up time and time again. So if we can meet some challenges in those locations, we'll, do, we'll actually make a big change in the region. So, you know, at least we know which areas we need to focus on. We've got some growth challenge areas and some access challenge areas that we need to work on. Then we looked at the health things that we need to look at. So there's chronic conditions. Um, cancer was a particular one because it's something we can screen for. So we can look at both ends in terms of supporting people who are already with that, but then how do we prevent it in the first place? Um, mental health is uh, alcohol and other drug suicide prevention. It's a big problem in our areas, is in many areas, and then end of life care. So we've been, we looked at health from a, a whole, um, from preventing not letting people get into the pipeline in the first place. And then once you're in, how can we keep you as well as possible? And then how can we make your end of life as comfortable as possible? And then through that, it identified some system challenges. So accessing health literacy, our workforce and technology. So there's 14 priority areas within four perspectives. And that, that just came from pulling all of that data together and, and um, mixing it up. That's uh, really amazing. So those four perspectives then were uh, people, locations, health, and systematic, uh, you know, issues and, and challenges. Is yep. that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's right. And the interesting thing is because I've been speaking to a few stakeholders. If you look at our data up at, at the actual highest level, we're very average. You know, our rates for things are Queensland average or Australian average. You know, if you look at that highest level of data, you'd go, oh, well, you know we're doing okay. We're not doing fabulously because no one's doing fabulously, but we're doing okay. 
When you go down to that next level of data, you can see these massive inconsistencies between our region and you really need to go to that next level if you're going to make a difference. And that's, that was the fundamental difference with this needs assessment. So um, through the needs assessment, have you been able to establish um, stronger relationships with some of these stakeholder groups and these groups through the process of this initial engagement? And how will you continue to engage with these groups as you move beyond the uh, needs assessment into realising um, you know, new services and, and, and plugging some of those yep. holes and yep. things you've identified? Yeah, we've absolutely got stronger relationships through this process. Um, you know, it was a really good engagement um, Trojan horse, I like to say. It was our reason to go out and see people and talk to them. You don't always have that um, call to action, and we had one, which was really great, and we followed it up. So we've made sure people who gave us information have got copies of the final product and that they know how that information's been used, and we will keep in touch with them as much as we possibly can. We've also, um, you know, we had an engagement queue, HQ license just for a project just to see how it went, but we've actually extended our license and we use the, the platform for pretty much all of our engagement now. Um, it took a little bit for people within the team to understand the power of it, but we've now used it for our regional mental health um, strategy to get feedback from a whole heap of different groups. We've used and from consumers as well as professionals. Um, we've just done a palliative care study today and immediately we we had a whole heap of people log on to tell us how they'd like their end of life care which has been great we used it for our digital strategy we use it for our councils as a platform to engage with each other as well as um, with us so they've got discussion forums um, you know it's just been a really great tool because it's so easy to use you know we can put things up tell people the closing date, pull it down, analyse the data ourselves and, and um, provide really good data almost immediately for our team so that they've got something to act on. Uh, and do you have any learnings from sort of moving from that, uh, you know, uh, a single project through to, you know, broader application um, of uh, online engagement in the health uh, sector that other, others that are thinking of doing the same might, um, might find useful? Yeah, well, I think one of the things we did um, inadvertently well in the first place was a bit of good luck, was that we named our site um, around our vision rather than around the project. So the site um, sits really well for anything that we use now. It wasn't, you know, the Brisbane South PHN needs engagement, needs assessment engagement site. It was Better System, Better Health, which is our vision. And that's made it really easy to use for, um, every other project that we're wanting to use. So I definitely begin with the end in mind a little bit and give yourself a bit of leeway before you start in that space. I think, you know, we've learned a lot going through this process. People are, are quite happy to give you the demographic information and that's really useful for us. But we've started putting it at the end of surveys now so that everyone's not fatigued by giving us all the demographics. They get straight into giving us their opinion and then they can fill out their demographics at the end. So there's just a little, little things that we're learning as we go along the way just to make it more engaging. I think the fact that you can have a photo on there, that, that it's not an impersonal you know, survey just coming through an email, there's a little bit of data around why you're doing this. We can put up documents for them to read, um, which is what we we're able to do with the mental health strategy. You know, There was some really good information for everybody to read before they even went and gave us their opinion. So it just has a lot more flexibility than and I think, you know, using it 
we probably did too much. We went a bit crazy and did every group and um, we got some good information from that, but we probably didn't need to go quite as crazy as we did. <laughs> it's, always, it's always a learning curve in everything that you do. Yes. So, yes. Good. yes. so I, was, I was actually curious, just more broadly, if you, um, if you had a moment to reflect on how engagement, uh, online engagement and uh, stakeholder engagement generally is um, really a necessity and is, uh, uh, has the ability to benefit the, the health sector. Do you have any thoughts on, on uh, how important engagement is in the health sector? Oh, it's, it's really, really important. I think the whole system is moving to person-centred care. We certainly have a program around person-centred care. If you're not engaging with your communities and, and not understanding what the needs are out there, you can't develop person-centred care. And I think we're seeing more and more, you know, people are looking for cures for things, but they don't understand why things are happening in the first place. Um, or they don't recognise the problem. In a, you know, like if, if you, health professionals need to understand maybe that sometimes people with diabetes don't see that it's a problem. Yeah. The healthcare system says, oh, diabetes is a really big problem because you know, we, we see people once they're in a really terrible state. But people who are just at that early stage don't necessarily see it's the problem the health system does. The health system needs to understand that because it's a different conversation you're having with somebody. And it's around, um, you know, we're trying to move people to being well and looking at wellness, um, which, you know, well-being rather than sickness. Um, if, if we're going to actually be able to afford a healthcare system in the long term, we need people to look after themselves and to feel well and to be thinking about their wellness, um, not waiting until they're sick to do something about it. That's right. It's all about, all about pre preventative health measures nowadays. So I, in essence, what you're saying is, you know, more conversations more often um, about targeted challenges and problems. How do, you, uh, how do you overcome some of those barriers that other health organisations might face in actually getting started with uh, engaging their communities or their patients for that matter? I think... One of the things that we learned through this is that as an organisation, you need to make it a priority. And we had the flexibility and the support from our CEO who understood, you know, when she came down to my office, I wasn't likely to be here because we're out engaging with people. And, you know, that takes time and that takes commitment, but it pays off in the long term. A lot of people are looking for a quick fix. Just go out and, you know, can, can we just do a bit of community consultation with these people on this one thing and really all they can do is have it painted blue or black and that's the consultation choice they've got. That's not engagement. That's ticking a box. You know, we're trying to have long-term relationships with people so that we can make a difference in the long term. That, that takes time and that takes commitment and you can't expect to snap your fingers and it'll be fixed. It's... It really is a, an organisational commitment um, and we're lucky, we're very lucky we have it here, that it's, it's, it's a priority and it has paid off for us so far. But, you know, I think that you know, I worked in government for a long time before that and, and things, decisions have to be made very quickly and sometimes consultation's not as in-depth as it should be. It would save a lot of problems later on if it was, but you know there there are other priorities at the time. But having that that ability to create relationships and and sustain them long term is a massive benefit for an organisation. Yeah, it is a massive benefit, and you've already uh, sort of proven that uh, some early work and some and some thorough thinking uh, can set you on the right path 
um, as we can see with your uh, successful investment. Uh, we're almost out of time, but I just wanted to ask you before we leave, is there anything else you'd like to say um, to any of your colleagues that are doing engagement in the primary health network or around the world, um, people working in health um, who are looking to do online engagements. Any parting words you have? Um, look, I think you know we have a we have a stakeholder engagement and communication plan that we work to. Our our brand, for want of a better word, <laughs> um, is people and place. You know, it our, we are about the people in the place that we live. That's that's what we're here for. So that drives a lot of our thinking. It drives the thinking around the way we did this engagement. Um, yeah, I think that you you really need to get behind the the people that are um, there's always there's always someone willing to give you their opinion, and that's great. It's good to take that opinion, but it's great if you can get behind that and get some people that are harder to reach. You'll give you a much better perspective. That's and fair. often you find that um, you're actually it's more cost effective. <laughs> it's, it's you know people don't necessarily want all the bells and whistles and all the scary things, they just want to be listened to and have a, and have a conversation and, and you'll get a better outcome. That's a really interesting point actually, because cost efficiencies are always something that the health sector is looking for. So just a really quick one on that. How has the utilization of online engagement helped with cost efficiencies in this project? Oh, it was incredibly cost effective. I think um, compared to at least one of our um, colleagues, I think our engagement cost about a tenth of what they did for the same number of people engaged. It, it, um, it you know, running big forums and workshops and things are a costly exercise and take a lot of time out of people's day. This was um, this enabled people to do it in their own time, and uh, it didn't take us that long to set up. So I, I thought it was an incredibly cost-effective way to do our engagement. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon, Louise. Uh, we hope that you keep up the good work. Uh, we surely look forward to seeing more good work coming from the Brisbane South Primary Health Network. Uh, thank you for your time this afternoon, and we hope that we can speak to you again soon. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for that.